From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. With a $610 million budget surplus and a steady flow of new funding from Washington, Rhode Island state government has rarely been as flush with cash as it is today. But how can lawmakers ensure all that money is used responsibly and what will Senate leaders be fighting for when negotiations heat up this spring? Our guests this week on Newsmakers, Senate President Dominic Ruggiero and Senate Majority Leader Ryan Pearson. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White, alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi, Senate President, uh, President Dominic Ruggiero, and Senate Majority Leader Ryan Pearson. Welcome back to the program. It's good to have both of you. Thanks it's for good us. to be here today. Thank you. Look, we have to start with that scary accident in front of the State House on Wednesday night. Superior Court Judge and former Lieutenant Governor Richard Leach was struck by a vehicle while crossing Smith Street. And we are taping this on a Friday morning. Many people are watching it on a Sunday. But just minutes before we walked into the studio, we received a statement from the family via spokesperson Joy Fox, and I, I want to read some of it. It says in part, his injuries were serious, but he is a fighter. He has come through emergency surgery well and is resting and in the capable hands of a team of physicians at Rhode Island Hospital. Those who know Richard know him to be strong in every dimension, and his strength, determination, and resilience will get him through this challenging time and on the road to recovery. I know I speak for uh, Ted. Uh, both of us have known Judge Leach for a very long time. Uh, we wish him hell uh, well and have a full give and him speedy. Hell, know, give yeah. him hell, no, uh, Judge Leach, and a, and a full and speedy recovery. Look, this incident caused several lawmakers to talk about Smith Street and how dangerous a stretch it can be. We should point out that is a state road. That is not a city road. As a matter of fact, the DOT is right on Smith Street across from the main entrance to the State House. Looking at what happened with Judge Leach, do you think the DOT needs to take a look at that stretch of Smith Street? Does it give you cause for concern, that area? Uh, that area always gives me cause uh, for concern because a lot of people do leave the State House after committee hearings. They don't always use the crosswalk. Uh, you know, there's a huge crosswalk over there uh, going across Smith Street. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I think that uh, uh, we have to take a look at the surrounding area, the lighting, and things of that nature. Uh, we're going to wait until the investigation is over as to what transpired that uh, that evening and why that happened. So. Uh, obviously, we're going to take a look at that, and we will be involved with the Department of Transportation to see if we can uh, get better lighting and uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, not uh, uh, have people just walking across the street. So uh, we're going to be looking at that once the investigation is over. Yeah, leader, as, as the president said, the you know, there's that crosswalk. Yeah. It's it's also kind of a speed hump. I have done live shots out there, and I have seen cars fly over that thing and almost yeah. catapult themselves. I don't know what it is about that section of Smith Street where cars drive so fast, particularly going up up that hill. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, again, like the president said, we'll have to work with DOT and figure out how we can improve the safety in that area. I think that one raised section is in the middle, and sometimes it may come out of nowhere for some drivers. Yeah. So maybe, you know, more areas, you know, further down the street and before it. Um, but it is a very busy area, and particularly, you know, as the president mentioned, after committees, people are leaving, and it's often dark. Um, and so anything we can do to improve lighting, slow some cars down in that area, I think is all a good idea. All right. Well, we want to talk about some of the big issues you guys are tackling this year. And as Tim said in the open, uh, no bigger issue this year than money. Um, it's always a big issue, but especially this year, the unusual circumstances with the 
$610 million projected budget surplus. I know Speaker yeah. Shikarchi keeps saying he doesn't think that'll be the final number. All the federal money that uh, is still unspent, even if it's been allocated, uh, revenue keeps beating expectations. President Ruggiero, you've been uh, on Smith Hill longer than anybody else up there at this point. Have you ever in your career experienced a budget environment like the current one? Uh, usually it's the opposite. Uh, usually we're always scrambling for money. Uh, unfortunately, we had to have a virus in order to uh, get some additional money so we can address some of the uh, causes and in, in the situations that we have right now. Um, I, I don't think we're going to end up with that amount of money. Uh, I know uh, our costs, like everyone else's costs, have increased, uh, electric costs, uh, utility costs, and uh, things of that nature. So uh, we're going to take a look and see what happens after the revenue estimating uh, conference in May. Uh, we'll have a better handle on our numbers, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, but uh, we've already started uh, budget hearings and finance, and uh, we're just going to go through and, and do the, go through the vetting process like we normally do, and uh, see what we end up with as far as uh, well. This is to either revenues. way. It's it's taxpayer money, whether it's federal money or it's state money. And a lot of people at home are going to be wondering, well, why can't I get it back then if there's a <laughs> surplus, right? And we and it's not unreasonable. Massachusetts yeah. gave a rebate to its taxpayers when they have a budget surplus. I believe it's baked into law there. Leader, why not, why not do that? We did. Um, and so if you look at the last budget, we permanently phased out the car tax. That's a... Uh, I'm talking rebate checks. Yeah, but think about this. Massachusetts gave rebate checks for a one time. What we did is we made sure that we made tax reform that we could afford now and is permanent for Rhode Islanders. So getting rid of the car tax, getting rid of the income tax on folks that are military retirees, raising the exemption on retirement income for all Rhode Islanders, uh, those are permanent tax cuts Rhode Islanders will see, which I argue is better than a one-time check like Massachusetts did. The Senate President, myself, our colleagues, and our colleagues in the House have been very focused on where we can getting money back into the pockets of Rhode Islanders, but doing it in a permanent and sustainable way rather than just one-time checks. And I think that's where our view is going to continue to be is as we look at these surpluses, um, how do we balance them between the right investments to set up the economy and the state for the future and getting money back to um, Rhode Islanders? And, and I would just say the reason for the surplus I think is really important to think about. I remain optimistic about where we stand for Rhode Island. Uh, the reason we have this surplus is really three things. One, our revenues continue to do better because our economy continues to do better than we forecasted. That's a great thing for Rhode Islanders. The second, we've had a lot of federal support that's helping us make big investments, whether it be in Quonset or Galilee, uh, whether it be in education. We're making those investments and we're continuing to do that. Uh, and then the third, which is a challenge for us, is we have over a thousand open state jobs right. that need filling. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of optimism and good things about where we stand, but also work. We've got to make sure we do those investments and we fill those jobs. But we're in a really good position to continue putting Rhode Island on a good path. I'm curious, um, I'll toss this one to you, President Ruggiero. Uh, the governor's put forward this idea of lowering the sales tax to 6.85 percent. Um, I have to say the like average viewer response we got was that people thought that sounded kind of meager when they hear what how big the surplus is right now. Then I've heard other people say, don't do the sales tax at all. It's not worth it. Use the money elsewhere. How does that proposal hit you, 6.85% sales tax? Is it a good idea? Is it too little? Is it too much? Is it not the right approach? Uh, I don't think it's enough uh, at this point in time. Uh, I think if we get something down to like 6.5%, I think we're in play. I think people would be less reluctant to go over the border and, uh, you know, especially with the price of gas right now, uh, and, uh, and, and make their purchases across the border. Uh, I think we should reduce it uh, at least a half a percent. I signed on the Senator McKinney's bill uh, to reduce it by one percent. Uh, so uh, as, as the leader said, 
We're trying to get more money in the pockets of the residents of Rhode Island. And whether it's business or, or just the citizens itself, uh, we're looking to do that because uh, we feel with inflation and everything like that, and we don't know what's going to happen in the third quarter uh, of this year. Uh, everyone's predicting some kind of recession. They don't know how severe it's going to be. So I think we have to be prepared for that and put more money in the rating day fund. Well, let me ask you, uh, you were finance chairman uh, before you were majority leader. Six and a half percent might get people more excited. The yeah. thing you hear from the McKee folks is, oh, it's irresponsible. It's too much money if we go all the way down to a half percentage point. Do you yeah. think that could be done this year based on what you see right now? I think so. We're going to, the Senate Finance Committee is going to do its job as it always does. Uh, and I know the president and I are going to be looking forward to their recommendations. You know, I would just say from my, you know, top of the house view, I think the governor tried to do tax relief in a series of pockets, um, you know, a little bit on energy, a little bit on sales tax, a little bit on corporate minimum tax. Um, and maybe rather than doing a little bit everywhere, you pick where you really want to do tax relief to get it toward Islanders. That's most effective. So more bang for your buck, you think, if you do one of them in a bigger way, but maybe you don't do all Probably something along those lines, but you know we'll have to see how the committee process goes and hear it out, but that's where, where my thinking is. Right do, what do you hear from your colleagues on the House side? Do you think they're interested in something similar? They have not yet talked to us about the budget. Uh, <laughs> so it's really early in the session yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to kind of have those cross-chamber conversations yet. Uh, President, I want to shift gears. We learned that the state's former housing secretary, Josh Saul, uh, who resigned amid mounting complaints and criticism that not enough was being done on the housing front, was awarded a contract by the McKee administration to consult on housing matters just as the change in uh, leadership in that uh, department happens. I imagine you weren't consulted on that decision. Um, what's, if you were, correct me, what was your reaction when you heard that? Uh, I was kind of floored because I figured that the administration let us know uh, that they were going to retain the services of Mr. Salt. But uh, look, it's the governor's decision. He can put whoever he wants. Uh, uh, he can employ whoever he wants. Uh, I just think that I'm l looking forward to working with Stephen Pryor. I've worked with him before when he was uh, a commerce uh, uh, a commerce chairman, mm -hmm. uh, and I had a great relationship with him, and I'm looking forward to uh, uh, to working with him again on the housing issues. Obviously, these are very important issues. He has had experience uh, previously uh, in New Jersey on housing issues, uh, so I'm confident that uh, uh, he'll be able to, uh, uh, you know, take the ball and run with it, and and get the money out and help people with the housing issues. One one big housing issue. Big tower proposed in, in Providence. You've been a full-throated supporter of the proposed famed tower on the land that has been freed up by the relocation of I-195. The developer, Jason Fain, he, he won in court, then decided to redesign it, and that's another delay. His rights to the parcel expire in the coming months. I think it's in, in March, right, that they expire. It's been an almost seven-year saga, and it's not done yet. I'm sure you're frustrated by that. Do you think it's time to put the land up for sale again and give another developer a crack, considering your interest is probably to get something built? Well, I think uh, I think the uh, drop-dead date is uh, the Ides of March, uh, March, 15th. March 15th. Yeah. And uh, we'll see what happens then. He has to come before the uh, uh, the commission again to, with his changes, and uh, uh, we'll see what happens at, at, at that point in time. Have you uh, talked to him? Uh, no, I have not talked to Mr. Fain in quite a while. I would say probably maybe a year. Uh, but what really frustrates me is when someone comes into this state and has a half a billion dollars in their pocket, and all of a sudden people start throwing up roadblocks uh, so that person can't, uh, uh, can't do business in this state. That, that bothers me because it sends a very bad signal across the country. Uh, in my real job, uh, this is what I did. I, I work with developers uh, to try to uh, you know, get people good on jobs and, and to create employment opportunities. 
and it's just like pulling teeth to try to get mm. uh, contractors or developers to come here knowing that the, the process that they have to go through. So. Uh, that's 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 been the most frustrating. I part. won't make a quip about the real job. I was going to say this is a fake job. I just want the viewers to know that. Um, one more on housing for for you, uh, President Ruggiero. There's been talk I've heard at the State House that you know we all know how much Speaker Shikarchi's made this the number one thing of his speakership, and there is you can see the House inching closer to perhaps bills that would require municipalities to allow more construction. Could happen a lot of different ways. Could be certain municipalities. Could be only in certain places. But maybe overriding zone in some way. Uh, there's a feeling that the Senate, that's going to be a harder sell in the Senate. Could you ever imagine Senate leadership supporting a bill that does require, at least in some places around municipalities, to, to make them do more, allow more housing construction? Well, I've had discussions with the Speaker on, on this issue, and you're right. He's, uh, he's hot on the housing issue. Uh, and you've got to keep in mind, uh, the Senate has been working on housing for the last seven years, and we've made some substantial gains in that particular area, especially the funding uh, for affordable housing. Uh, so we're looking to work in conjunction with the Speaker and uh, to provide housing for people in the state. I have not seen the Speaker's legislation, so I'm reluctant to comment on it. Uh, but I understand he has uh, numerous pieces uh, that are going to affect, uh, uh, you know, uh, how where people locate and how they go through the process. And he might want to change the process. I don't know at this point in time, uh, but I'm waiting enthusiastically to see. All right, we're going to take a break on Newsmakers. Our guests this week are Senate President Dominic Ruggiero and Senate Majority Leader Ryan Pearson. When we come back, should people be able to gamble from home? Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers.
Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi, our guest this week, Senate President Dominic Ruggiero and Senate Majority Leader Ryan Pearson. Leader. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi, our guest this week, Senate President Dominic Ruggiero and Senate Majority Leader Ryan Pearson. Leader, actually, I want to start with you here. Our Steph Machado and Target 12 reported last week that the state-run Providence Public Schools has only spent 6% of the $128 million it received from the American Rescue Plan Act. What's your reaction to that? I think Providence is uh, in a very unique position given the state control that it's under. Um, And I do think there has been a lack of transparency on the plans and what is going on in Providence schools. Uh, Senator Zurier uh, has been uh, really on top of this issue and working uh, with both Chair De Palma as the oversight chair and Chair Cano as the education chair, having hearings, trying to understand it more. Uh, We did pass Senator Zuri's legislation last year um, that put some more oversight and some more... Did that go far enough? Probably not. Um, And I know that Senator Zuri is looking at it now again, and probably that issue will come back up again. But, um, you know, Providence is a very important district to the state and to our future, and I do think there needs to be more transparency on what they're doing and what they're planning to spend that money on. And we certainly know Providence students had learning loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, other districts have spent every penny of the federal money that they had and have done it with interventions, have done it with longer school days. Have They've spent the money to catch kids up. I don't know what Providence is waiting for, to be honest with you. Is it? But you've been watching the budget a long time. Is yeah. it possible that the amount of money between the the main ARPA money to the state, the ARPA money to the cities, this separate ARPA pot to yeah. the schools is like has outpaced sort of Rhode Island government's ability to spend it. Spend it. And not to say like you couldn't find things, but to have that yeah. you need, you know, someone to watch over this new program and you need to have enough people you can yeah. hire for this. Is it just not possible? I think in fairness to Providence and to Ride, uh, probably recruitment and the number of teachers. I mean, they, they have, uh, I think it's about 100 vacancies in teacher positions in Providence schools yeah. today. Mm. So in fairness to the Providence, they may not be able to find the staff to do the extra learning hours and other things to spend that money. But one way or another, they should have a plan that we know what it is uh, and that they're very public and transparent about what they're planning to do with that money. Um, I did speak to Chair Connell yesterday on this. She brought it up to me, and I know she's planning to look into it a bit more. So the Senate will continue to do what we can. But I think at the end of the day, um, Ride and I know Mayor Smiley uh, really wants to have a more active role. Um, and I think I'm, I know the president and I really encourage that. Um, we look forward to working with him uh, and really getting Providence on the right, right path. So I've got to ask a political question. So, Senate President, the uh, I'd say that the, a couple months ago, scuttlebutt was, all right, he's probably going to, this will be his last term as Senate President. He'll hand over. They'll do the usual thing halfway through the term or something like that. Now I feel like the whisper of the old rumor mill has shifted, and people think you might run for re-election again and stay on. What, what's your thinking right now about your future? I'm running for re-election for the 4th Senatorial uh, District. You absolutely, you're definitely going to run. Definitely going to run. No question. So you don't have confidence that if Majority <laughs> Leader Pearson took over, the Senate would be all right? I have a lot of confidence in uh, Leader Pearson. Uh, uh, it's just that uh, I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy who I represent. Uh, I've been there for a while. I think I have a level of uh, expertise as to what's going on. I mean, I really don't have to be the Senate President in order to be a senator in the uh, 
in the chamber. So could you um, imagine stepping back? Because usually, someone if someone finishes in one of the top jobs, they leave. They leave altogether. You they could leave. imagine going back to a backbencher. I'd or? sit there as a rank and file senator. Yeah. Would you make trouble? Would you put in a lot of tough bills for this? Well, it depends what he does. <laughs> <laughs> I should say other people might run against you, but you presume. I presume. I don't know if you've been asked this explicitly on the record that someday, maybe 20, 30 years from now, if Senator Ruggiero decides to retire, you might seek the Senate presidency. Is that something you could imagine someday? Absolutely. I've enjoyed every role that I've had in the Senate. Uh, I love being majority leader now. Uh, and when the president uh, is ready, I'd love to succeed him as the Senate president. And uh, I would love to have him still around, too, to work with. So you would try um, to keep him? <laughs> I, absolutely. I would be, uh, I would be very uh, naive not to. <laughs> we'll hold on to this tape. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get back to policy. Uh, Bally's, so Twin River, wants to bring table gaming into people's homes. Um, remote gambling. You've supported gambling expansion in the past. Does this one give you pause at all? No. You as a matter of fact, totally. I'm uh, very supportive of it. I had one meeting with uh, Bally's. Uh, I asked them to see if they could put something together. I am totally unfamiliar with iGaming or eGaming, uh, <laughs> as it's called, uh, but I think it provides a convenience for the public. Uh, I think people don't have to go up to the uh, uh, to e either one of the two facilities in Rhode Island. Yeah. Uh, they can uh, uh, wager from home, uh, and I think that'll be uh, proof to be a revenue Let generator. Let me be the voice of parents at home. How do you police making sure that this uh, gambling doesn't get into the hands of 18, those under the age of 18. Well, they have methods right now through the app to, uh, to prevent that. Uh, uh, I think we need a stronger app in the state. Uh, I get a lot of complaints on the app as far as people having difficulty getting on there and, and making their wages. But uh, I think You're hearing about problems with the app, is it? Yeah, every now and then it, uh, there's a malfunction, and that's, that's, that's normal with, uh, with technology, I would assume. Uh, but I think as far as iGaming and eGaming, I think it provides, uh, and a lot of people do uh, Kino from home, they do uh, 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 other, other games from home, and I don't see why they can't do that from home. So, How should it be taxed? Should it be taxed at a higher rate, about, about the same? Any thought on that? I think it should be taxed the same rate as uh, everything else is taxed, uh, the, the way we get our revenue from the, uh, from, from the lottery and from the other uh, uh, games that we have throughout the state. Let me. I just got to ask you. I know you've always been supportive of expanded gambling as a as a revenue generator. But do you have any concern about the the concern you're sometimes from people who deal with people with gambling addiction, which is do we make it easier? Like you said, now you don't have to go to the casino. On the other hand, if you have a gambling problem, driving the casino is one kind of speed bump before you can get into it again. Do you, you know? Do you have any worries about making it easier and easier and easier for someone to just pick up the phone on the couch and if they have a problem, get get starting to place bets? Well, problem gambling has always been an issue that we've we've addressed, that we've provided the revenue for that. Um, I mean, people, e even without that type of gaming, uh, people can sometimes get in trouble uh, with, with gambling. I mean, it's, you, you see the same thing with alcohol and and uh, all the other things that, that, that go along. Uh, but uh, I think that, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we offer help for those people who need help. Uh, we have a, a toll-free number. The casino offers help. Uh, to people, the last thing they want to see is people uh, getting addicted and having uh, big, big problems. Uh, you know, not paying rent and not paying for the homes, and you know, have difficulties with their families. So, uh, we had, do have programs in place uh, that can address that. Um, uh, leader, I, a question. This was in uh, President Rogers' speech at the beginning of the year, but I found it interesting. You mentioned the possibility of blowing up the Executive Office of Health and Human Services, which 
is the sort of superstructure that Governor Kachiri yeah. put in place like 20 years ago to have all the other health departments kind of report up to this person. And some people wonder if that's really working out. How serious, because that would be quite a rearranging of the deck chairs over there in that part of the state government. How serious is the Senate about tackling that this year? Well, I think we're in a unique position where all those jobs remain open. Uh, and they've remained difficult to fill, I think, because one of the salary... Yeah, we say uh, most of those departments don't have a, a permanent director. Right and now. they've cycled through their second or third acting director, right? And so we know that those departments uh, need leadership, need permanent leadership, and need to have a structure that makes sense. Uh, the health committee under the leadership of Chairman Miller uh, conducted a study commission actually on some reorganization of some of the sub-departments within that, and they released a series of recommendations. I think the President and I both feel very passionate that there does need to be change uh, within the EOHHS superstructure. Um, I think you know that could include you know not having the superstructure, that could include department configuration changes within it, but what we do know today is that the, the way that it's structured today has not been working for Rhode Islanders. Uh, we haven't been able to uh, recruit people to lead those departments. Uh, it's been very difficult, and so uh, we have to take a look at it, and I know uh, the President's had some conversations the governor on it, uh, and we look forward to working with him uh, and, and our House colleagues on this one and, and figure out what the right, right future is. Leader, I want to stick with you in another education question, which you have made a cornerstone of your tenure. Um, McKee's budget has proposed phasing out the hold harmless aspect of the state education funding formula. So far, uh, school districts have not been dinged financially, if you will, yeah. if enrollment declines. Now, McKee, yeah. would his budget would offset some of that by boosting money for districts with lower income students. But I guess fundamentally the question is, is it time for the funding formula to reflect the reality on the ground and reduce revenue for districts that have seen a reduction in, in yeah. enrollment? Yeah, I think uh, the governor is heading down the right path on this when, with his proposal. Um, I spent some time with him and his staff uh, before his submission. Uh, and as someone who spent a lot of time in the formula, uh, I actually had the Excel file when I was running through. The, 5,000 students have left Rhode Island public schools uh, since pre-COVID. So 5,000 students times 14 to 20,000 a student. This adds up to real money. I think it was about. Where do you think they, people are going to wonder? Yeah, where do you think they went? School? So private school? Private charters? That's a great question we're trying to get the answer to. The hypothesis is that they went to private schools, they went to parochial, uh, parochial schools, or they, maybe they left the state. Uh, but when you look at it, and it's not just one district or one area. I mean, we lost students collectively across the board all across Rhode Island. Um, and obviously during COVID, we thought a lot of them maybe went to homeschooling and other things. And so that's why we sort of had these hold harmless freezes to not penalize districts. The longer we keep that up, though, the longer, the, the, the deeper the cliff is going to be when we finally go back to reality. So I think the governor was right in sort of ending that hold harmless. Uh, let's look at actual enrollment numbers. If the students haven't come back at this point, they probably are not going to uh, go back to those public schools. Uh, and then when you do that, the, the governor's trying to offset that uh, to make sure that the cities and towns don't see, you know, big cliffs in their in reduction. Um, he's proposed a few different ways to do that. Uh, again, we'll be taking a look at that through the Finance Committee. Not quite sure that all of those were the right way to do it uh, that gets you there um, and does it in a long-term way. So we'll be working on that and figuring out how we, we amend uh, the governor's Quick one, because we're running short on time. The House started posting their hearing documents online like a couple of years ago. Yeah. As far as I know, there have been no problems. It's a great boon to transparency, frankly, for reporters trying to understand the issues are being debated. When is the Senate going to start posting your hearing documents? Well, first of all, that's a, that's a very labor-intensive uh, situation. We have other methods where people can get that information. So at this point in have time... Have you talked to the House? They found a way. 
Well, they have more people than we do. <laughs> Ask the JCLS yeah. for more. In all seriousness, they haven't met yet. In all seriousness, House Finance I think has a clerk and two assistant clerks. We had one who doubled as our administrative assistant in Senate Finance. So there is a staff problem. As the so Shikarchi will give you the people. Would you post them? We'd consider it. Okay, good to know. And it's not just for reporters. I want to point that out. He po- posted no, no. questions. It's for the public as well. Look, we have a minute left, uh, and I have to ask you about this. Most people are watching uh, this episode of Newsmakers on Sunday. That is just one day ahead of the 20th anniversary of arguably one of the darkest days this state has ever seen, the station nightclub tragedy. 45 seconds, President. Your thoughts going into this difficult uh, anniversary? Uh, yeah, obviously it's a 20th anniversary, and I remember... For- you know, it's like everything else. So when a disaster like that happens, you remember where you were at the time and, and what was going on. And uh, we could see that uh, I was with some friends. Uh, and 20 we, seconds left here. And we could see that uh, that this was going to be a tragic uh, situation. Yes. Um, I mean, we've made a no- number of changes uh, to the building codes and to a n- number of other things, keeping in mind that we didn't want to put businesses out of business. And, and I'm going in depth on actually that, okay. the changes that you guys made back in 2003, 2004. We'll have that story Monday on 12 News at 6. For Ted Nisi, I'm Tim White. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers.